people were on board with the 800 gram challenge. Then of course, within the CrossFit community, they're like, uh, protein. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But I didn't really have a way I wanted to attack that yet. And so it kind of was applying some of the same idea of the 800 gram challenge of like, let's set a, a mark that is probably pretty good for a lot of people that might need to be fine tuned, but let's kind of set a benchmark of adding protein to the diet and, and kind of just having this general standard. And again, now that we have tackling fruits and veggies and tackling enough protein, we further push out that processed crap. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. All right, guys, this week, I am excited to sit down with founder of the 800 gram challenge and optimize me nutrition, EC Sinkowski. A little bit of background on EC before we get started. She's been in the CrossFit world since 2006, serving as a seminar staff, flow master and the CrossFit training program manager up until 2017, at which time she turned her focus to completing her second master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. After that, she founded her company, Optimize Me Nutrition, which focuses on helping individuals understand nutrition physiology and its day-to-day applications. So this is EC's second appearance here on the Pursuing Health podcast. We had our first sit down back in episode 95, and I was excited to catch up with her about some new developments, including her 10 principles of nutrition and the Lazy Macros Challenge. I'm also super excited to announce that we're actually going to be running EC's Lazy Macros Challenge starting on September 28th for all of our Pursuing Health subscribers. So it's a four-week challenge focused on getting 800 grams of fruits and vegetables in every day, as well as meeting some protein goals each day. There will be a leaderboard to track people in terms of those 800 grams, protein intake, workouts, and sleep. And the goal is really to achieve consistency across those four weeks. So if you're interested in doing Lazy Macros along with us, all you have to do is subscribe by going to pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. The challenge is going to be open to all of our subscribers. We're not going to be charging any additional fee to take part in the challenge. And we're going to do a live Q&A for all of our subscribers the evening of September 24th to answer all of your questions before we get started on September 28th. As a subscriber, not only will you get to join us in this challenge, but you'll also get the usual benefits of subscription, which includes workout programs, exclusive discount codes, and our engaging online community for as little as $4.99 per month. So again, you can visit pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to join in the fun. I'm looking forward to taking this one on with some of you very soon. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with E.C. Sinkowski for her second appearance on the podcast. So welcome back. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for having me back. It's been, I looked, it's been about two years, which is crazy. Time really flies um, since you were on last. And obviously you have been up to a lot since then. So I'm excited to catch up on some of the new things that you're doing, but always really keeping it real with nutrition. (laughs) The basics and very simple, um, which I really appreciate. I know you know, Danny and I just recently recorded, we're, we're kind of going through 
these new style of episodes, these pursuing health pearls and right. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, lifestyle factors. And we did kind of one on our overall approach to nutrition and, you know, we try to keep it as simple as possible, but I think you've simplified it even like levels beyond that. So <laughs> we'll see everything that you're putting out. Thank you. Um, so one of those, one of those ways is these 10 principles of nutrition that you have published and kind of synthesized and talked about. And I was hoping that we could run through those because I think it's a really um, great way of looking at nutrition and, and kind of keeping the big picture in mind. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of speak just briefly generally about them, I, I really encourage people to try to think about these big picture concepts before they start wondering that, like, do I pair eggs with vegetables? You know, <laughs> it's like, whoa, 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 step back, kind of understand this framework. And I don't also want to say that I think that there's only 10 forever that I was perfectly right in that this is my first stab and kind of like, hey, let's develop a framework that helps people understand nutrition, maybe not the PhD physiologist type person, but like the person trying to figure out nutrition, and then we can go from there. Yeah. So where did it come from? Is it something you've been thinking about for a long time? Or what was the impetus for you putting these down on paper? To be honest, the idea did start years ago from answering questions at CrossFit seminars. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, you typically get a lot of questions that, you know, Adrian Bosman would always say it best. It's like, how, what did that person not understand that, that prevented them from answering their own question? And so instead of just saying, yes, have the protein shake, it's like, okay, what aren't they understanding about nutrition that made them not ask that question? And so it came back to very similar kind of answers a lot of the time. Um, and so that's really the initial framework for them. And of course, it's just developed over time. But yeah. Very cool. All right. So we're just going to start at the top. The yeah. <laughs> uh, principle is the quantity of food you eat in calories determines your weight. So let's talk about that. Totally. So the first three principles are actually related to quantity, but the first one specifically tackles it in calories and calories do matter. I think they've been sort of pushed aside um, a bit in the more recent nutrition space, but they do matter. They are a measure of quantity of how much food that you're eating. Now, they just don't have the level of precision as macronutrients we're going to get into. But yeah, if you eat more calories than you need, your body will gain weight. And if you eat less calories than you need, you will lose weight. Yeah, I think it's something that you know, has been talked about a lot, like, you know, it's not as simple as calories in, calories out. And yes, maybe that's true, but calories definitely do matter. And I think we've all seen, you can overeat on almonds or, <laughs> you know, I'll never forget when I was in college, this was before I knew really anything about nutrition, <laughs> but we used to get this guacamole from um, Costco. So like these huge bags of guacamole. And I remember my roommate looking at me after I ate like an entire bag and was like, do you know, like how much fat is in avocado? <laughs> I was like, no, I no. thought really good for you. <laughs> totally. I mean, and even in my early CrossFit days of just slamming the jars of almond butter, like, why don't I have the body composition I want? You know, it's just like, yeah, it matters. It's true. I mean, I think it's, um, it's always better to be eating a jar of almond butter or a container of avocado than a lot of other things, but totally. Very true. Um, okay. So second principle is the quantity of food that you eat in macronutrients determines your body composition. Right. So whatever those total calories that you eat are, we can then look at them a little bit in a more granular approach in terms of where are they coming from? Protein, 
carbohydrate and fat. And, and this is where people get really confused because they're like, all calories are not created equal. And, and that is true. They matter how they're distributed among these macronutrients in terms of your body composition. Of course, most people want to preserve their lean mass and lose fat. So we have to look at that balance of protein to carbs and fat. And this is where that comes into play. But of course, those macronutrients have a caloric value. So we can't just say one or the other matters. And, and this is really what the first two principles get after. It's like, what is this total intake? And then how is that intake divided across the macronutrients? Yeah. And it's true. There's so many heated debates about high carb, high fat, high carb, whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, you get the, the extremes. You can go all the way from a ketogenic diet all the way to this like protein sparing modified fast diet all the way to a super high carb diet. And, um, and it's true. Maybe one is better than the other at a certain, for a certain person or for a certain situation. And, you know, the ability to play around with those macronutrients to have the intended consequence that you want to have on your body composition is, I think, often overlooked. It's always like, oh, well, this is the best diet ever. <laughs> right, right. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> um, the third principle is timing only matters to the extent that it affects quantity. Yeah. So all of those questions of does it matter when I eat? This is this is the principle that tackles that. And not really. Not really. Now, what's interesting is when you force yourself to eat at certain times, you often change the quantity getting back to principles one and two. So this is what gets confusing for people because they're like, well, I started fasting and I lost weight. See, timing matters. And it's like, yeah, because you're no longer can eat during all hours of the day. We, we restricted the amount that we eat usually, right? And this is some of the limitations in fasting research as well, is that they'll find results from a fast, but they don't actually show you the changes in calories that occurred. So it's like the underlying mechanism is still there. So if you happen to change when you eat and that affects how much you eat, then, then yeah, we're going to see results that go back to principles one and two. But this idea that if I eat the same quantity and I have it at a certain time is really going to change my performance or health outcomes, not no, we could take some really wacky examples, like, because people are like, it doesn't matter at all. I'm like, well, if you need 200 grams of protein a day, and you decide to have it as a protein shake in one sitting with no other food. Okay, yeah, maybe it's some of it's going to be burned off as energy or something like that, right? But like, who's doing that? We have to stay in the realm of reality here a little bit. So yeah, assuming that we just sort of eat at some point during the day with mixed foods and don't do anything too crazy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you eat. It matters how much you eat. What do you think about the concept of, um, you know, you mentioned fasting. There's so much research out there now about fasting and time-restricted feeding, but, but just about having the window um, where you aren't taking in food and like the impact that that can have on microbiome or on metabolism where you're kind of like shutting down some of those um, metabolic processes that are more, you know, metabolic and then allowing more rest and digest time. What do you think? Like, I think, if, yeah, I mean, I think some rest and digest time is, is great, but I think that can naturally happen if we eat normally, right? Like if, if I take my 2000 calories a day or 2200 and I decide to like eat every, I don't know, hour on the hour of like a hundred calories, it's like, now we start doing these really weird diet patterns. Like who's doing that? Like have your three meals, maybe a snack, you know, don't get up in the middle of the night and start eating and we get some nice rest and digest, you know? Um, so this is where I think yeah, resting is, is good and taking away from that caloric load is good. But like, 
I don't know, have we gotten so crazy about like these really specific rules when it kind of happens if we just act normally? <laughs> and the other thing I think that's interesting about fasting, which you didn't really bring up, but I kind of want to touch on because people are always like, yeah, but is it better than just eating the right quantity, right? Because it's like, is it going to promote longevity? And am I going to like prevent cancer or whatever it is? Um, we also have to remember that it depends on what nutrients you're taking in. Like if you're fasting in a way where you've limited your micronutrient density and you just happen to be caloric restricted, but not micronutrient dense, we have a health problem there. Like we want micronutrient density in the long term. So this idea that just caloric restriction is going to be it forever. It's like, not if you're not getting enough magnesium, you know, or, or whatever, pick your nutrient of choice. So I think there's some limitations there about this idea that it has some unique benefit to optimizing nutrients at the appropriate um, caloric and macronutrient distribution. What do you think about the things like, like Walter Longo's research or the fasting mimicking diet of doing it maybe, you know, once in a while, like an intermittently, you know, a week or a few days of more caloric restriction? I think it's great if the person sticks with it, right? <laughs> it's kind of like anything, like if we get the results we want, I'm like, yes, you know, I don't have to be right about the physiology to support a diet approach. So if people really like it, and uh, they see the results they want, great, more power to them. Um, I also like to think about fasting, because I'll do it sp um, sporadically, when we used to travel. <laughs> lives like there are periods where all of us you have we have a busy day things come up like something happens it's going to inevitably happen randomly for all of us if we're just living our lives totally and, it, and if you think about the number of times that you've overeaten maybe not you but like I've certainly had plenty of Thanksgiving days where I've gone overboard right like we can go the other way the body's remarkably resilient so like we also don't have to make it this thing like seven days a week I will now fast you know <laughs> it's like just skip a meal it's cool <laughs> So many rules, I think, tend to overcomplicate it. Love it. Okay, the fourth, I think we're on number four. The fourth principle is the quality of food, as determined by micronutrient density, determines your health. I love yeah. That. I love that contrast between quantity of food affects your weight and your body composition, and quality affects your health. Yeah, I mean, it is a little oversimplified because, as you know, right, losing weight can have some great health effects. Um, but when we start looking at all these cultures that are like super healthy, the Okinawans and the centenarians and all this stuff, I mean, like time and time again, they're eating these whole unprocessed foods. And this is kind of where I was going with some of that fasting research. It's like, yeah, we still need micronutrient density. So it still matters what we're eating, all that stuff. So this really focuses on the type of food that you're eating and that we want to see um, vitamins, minerals, fiber, phytochemicals. And I really think that that is how you optimize health is by taking in the greatest breath and depth of them. And you probably are familiar with Dr. Bruce Ames. He developed the Ames test, which is that famous screen. Um, but he's the one who believes chronic disease is micronutrient deficiency in the long term. And I just, I just, you kind of see it play out. And it, I just think it's a, such an elegant concept. And um, so yeah, got to eat those whole unprocessed foods. It's so true. It's like, just give your body the things that it needs to function properly. And so many of us with the processed foods that we have are just not getting it. Correct. Um, <laughs> we are trying. I mean, there's so many factors, like the most of the produce and the things that we're eating are not as rich in micronutrients as maybe they would be if we were growing our own food or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Number five is it's never one thing. So this is just a good rule to live by. Life. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a good point it's these are life rules julia <laughs> um 
they, that's kind of almost a summary of the first four, if you want to think about it that way, but it's also just broad nutrition, but it's like, Hey, so far we've told you calories matter. We've told you the macronutrients matter. There's three of them. Then we've told you that vitamins and minerals matter. I mean, there's 28 different essential nutrients at least and fiber matters and phytochemicals matters. There's thousands and thousands of those. So it's like people often are like, well, what about, you know, um, curcumin <laughs> and it's like, cool. But what about, you know, vitamin A or what about protein? And so we can get locked on this one idea that it's going to be our magic answer. And, and really, I actually just posted this quote from a paper that I really like. We, we can't think about nutrients as soloists. They are ensemble players. And this is really what that principle is about. I love that, which is so counter to what, you know, food marketing would tell us, right? It's always the one new thing. Um, correct. <laughs> or the supplement, correct. <laughs> And it's true, like you say, it's going to, whether you're taking it from a supplement or you're taking it from a food, it's going to have much more of an impact in its natural form in a food than if you try to isolate it in a supplement. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Number six is all diets control quantity to varying levels of precision. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is like why we have so much confusion because we think that paleo is so different than keto, which is so different from macros. And it's like, actually, they're kind of just on a scale shades of gray almost. Right. And they're basically all trying to get you to eat less <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, yeah. And they might do it through whole foods and they might entice you with health, but basically, I mean, our biggest issue is that people want to have this weight control. Um, and that's what they do. And they do it to various levels of precision, you know, and one, they might tell you to stay away from sugar and one, they might actually have you count carbohydrate grams. And then one, they might have you count protein, carbohydrate, and fat grams. So once you start seeing diets as kind of playing around with this quantity factor, you're like, ah, this is kind of the same thing. And all the rules that they've put around the diet is a way to make me eat less. <laughs> and typically they have it do it without you weighing and measuring because nobody wants to do that. Right. It's just a lot more tedious. Correct. Being simple. <laughs> or, but actually we end up overcomplicating them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sustainability is the most important factor in diet selection. Yeah. Arguably that could be first, right? If we were thinking about these in order, um, there isn't really an order, but yeah, arguably this could be the most important. You know, if I don't, if I don't have somebody stick to something for a long period of time, we don't get results. And so we have to think about that. Like if somebody is for whatever reason, doesn't want to eat meat, great. Now we have to figure out what we can do within the context that you've created to make it sustainable. Or I have to make sure that I have chocolate every day, pick your rule of choice. Uh, we have to figure out how to make the diet sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we just see this so much. I mean, for myself, but for so many people, you know, we have great success with something for such a short period of time. Like we do these 30 day challenges or, you know, we we're trying a different diet. Like I, you try keto, you try paleo, you do a challenge at your gym. And next thing you know, like you need to be on a challenge in order to be eating the way that you want to eat. And so it's, it's very confusing, I think, for people to then transition to that into what does their everyday life look like? And totally. I know for me too, because it's sort of a slippery slope. Like I like, for me, it's easy when I have sort of rules around something because I don't have to make decisions. Yeah. And when you get into your real life, you realize like, okay, you're going to have to make some decisions. Like if you see that brownie, you're going to have to decide, am I going to eat that or not? And mm -hmm. how do you how do you incorporate nutrition in a way that is sustainable, but also allows you to kind of live a normal life and not be so obsessed with nutrition that you, you know, that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. And I, I love that point. I, I get a lot of questions about, 
accountability, but I also get questions like, Hey, don't you have meal plans? Don't you have diet plans? And I'm not against them. Of course, if they get somebody going and starting on the right path, I think that's awesome. Great. I don't really do diet plans or meal plans because of that thing is every time breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next, however many months and years of your life, you have all these decisions that aren't going to fit into this neat little template. And so I want you to understand the concept so that you can do it because there's no diet plan. There's no 30 day challenge. There's no, that's going to stick with you forever. You ultimately at some point are in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's so true. Um, okay. Number eight, the universal diet problem is processed foods, which I think everybody can get on board with that one. <laughs> totally, totally. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, there's so much discussion about what's insulin's doing and how is my thyroid functioning? <laughs> and, you know, how do I make sure that I maximize fat loss, all this stuff. And it's like, just get the crap out of your diet, just get the crap out of your diet and stuff goes remarkably well. Um, and so, yeah, all diets basically are trying to have you eat less crap. <laughs> and it's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I think that's what people forget. It's become so commonplace. Like the pandemic has changed things, but it's like anytime you go to any social function, it's filled with all this processed crap. And so you, it sneaks into the diet constantly. Um, and that's really our problem. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, you know, it makes it challenging because there's, you know, people are still, even when they're eating a quote unquote healthy diet, like paleo or keto or whatever it is, there are processed foods that are targeted towards them. So there it's, you know, it's let's just eat the vegetables out of our garden and the meat from our local farmer. And that's all we need. But instead, you know, we live in this world of sort of consumerism and where everything is in some way processed. Like I was talking about this, I think on another podcast the other day that I like to have avocado toast in the morning and I have this gluten-free bread that I like, but if I was really being very um, dogmatic about it, like that's processed. Like, yeah, it does mm -hmm. gluten and it's full of like flax seeds and all these whole grains, but um, you know, it's still processed. It doesn't, it's not something that just came straight out of the earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, as you know, all of that can work, be very much part of a healthy diet. It's just that it's convenient and it tastes good and it ends up being more of our diet than it needs to be. Yeah. So true. All right. Number nine is your diet can't be validated. Mm. This is actually probably my favorite. Um, I'm sure you've had one or two of these questions, Julie, that goes something like, well, I eat mostly paleo. I'm pretty good, like 80, 20. And then I like wine and dark chocolate. Is that okay? <laughs> And it's, it's sort of like they want this reassurance that everything they're doing is good. And I, I appreciate that, that they're willing to ask me that question. They want my input. That's, that's awesome. And um, I'm happy to try to help. But I, I can't tell you that. I, I, nobody can bless your diet. Nobody can tell you the exact combination of foods that you need to be doing everything correctly in combination with all the other stresses and genetics and um, whatever else life might throw at you. So there is no exactly perfect diet, we can tell you. Um, even what they're trying to do with microbiome testing and genetics, don't even, they don't even know, <laughs> despite what some people are going to tell you. There is no validation. Our best valid validation is looking at health markers, looking at performance markers, looking at body composition markers, and making sure we're trending or staying in the right direction. Yeah. Right. And then, like you said, also making sure that it's something that can fit into someone's life. Like if you're following this diet that seems to be pushing all your markers in the right way, but you're miserable or you're not you know, enjoying your life, then that's also a problem. So totally, you know, there is, 
you know, a lot of variation in what's going to work best and what's going to push the markers in the right direction for every individual. It's not the same one person's the next, but it's also, you know, important to look at how does that fit in the context of their life. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Your one. Um, number 10 is there are diminishing returns on attaining perfection. Okay. I think nine and 10 might both be my favorite. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think 10 started off for me probably in the CrossFit space of, I think there's this push or want for a lot of people to have the visible abs. <laughs> and, um, and it's like, yeah, we can get you there. Are you ready? Here we go. Like, this is what we got to do. And, it, and then you start to see how much more work you have to put in the closer and closer you get to perfect. You know, those last five pounds are incredibly more challenging than the first 50 or 10 or wherever you started. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Or people want to be like, well, am I eating the most optimal diet for you or for me? It's like, let's talk about optimization. Let's talk about how we have to collect data on that to truly understand if we're optimizing a process. And it's time consuming and it's nitpicky. And you might end up seeing a benefit that's like one pound on your deadlift. It's like, well, was it worth it? I don't know. And so, and so this is where it's just putting stuff in perspective for people. It's like, maybe you want to do that work. Great. But the closer and closer you get to my perfect optimum, the more and more work you have to put in. Yeah. So it's helping people sort of weigh those, you know, I don't want to say risks and benefits, but like what, what it's cost benefit. Yeah. uh, What's going to take away from other aspects of your life to chase that perfection in that one area, which I think it's true. It's a good life lesson in general as well. Like on anything that we're doing in life, do we want to try to attain perfection on everything or on one thing and forget everything else? Or, you know, are we trying to be a little bit more balanced? So, yeah. And to be honest, that's a lot of what I'm trying to help people with nutrition. I actually don't want to tell people what to do. Might might not seem that way on social media, but um, I actually don't want to tell you what to do. I want you to know, okay, if this is the goal that I want, this is what I have to do to do that. And so this principle really comes into play because when people see the kind of sacrifice or the hard work that requires of what they, they want, they then have to make that decision. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, it's similar to people who come in, start CrossFit a few months later, they're like, I'm going to the games, but then they get a little bit of insight or window into what it actually takes and the hours of training and the sacrifice. And they're like, you know what, actually, like maybe, you know, there's other things in my life that I want to be spending my time and energy on. So totally. Yes. It's always, um, I think that that's great to be able to, to actually lay it out for people and pr- show them like, okay, this is what, if you want this, this is what it's going to take. Cause I think a lot of times the things that we see on social media or other places, it makes it seem so easy. Like, you know, everyone can, can attain these six pack abs and whatever else. So. Yeah. I was actually just discussing that with Patrick. We marketing is the end. You, you see the end result. You don't see the work. Exactly. Exactly. Which is interesting now, you know, social media is a very interesting thing, but um, where before you might see that like an athlete compete at the Olympics or compete in their sport at their peak. And you don't a lot of times see all the work that goes in behind the scenes. Now it's interesting that people are able to follow their athletes on social media that they, you know, that they look up to and see more of that process. But again, Mm -hmm. only up to what they post. Like obviously most people are going to tend to post more of the, exciting moments than the really difficult moments. But it is cool when people share some of that um, on social media too. And you're able to see, you know, what goes into these, you end up seeing. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. 
Um, so I also watched your TED talk that you gave oh. me, which was really awesome. I would encourage anyone listening to go check it out. Um, and you talk about basically it was called an elegant diet and you, you really talk about how, you know, eating 800 grams of vegetables or six cups of vegetables and fruits and fruits, don't forget fruits. Um, every day is a very elegant solution to a lot of the issues that we have around nutrition and our health. And again, like you always talk about, we tend to overcomplicate things, but it's a very simple, measurable, like clear thing that everybody can do that has a huge impact. And a lot of the time, you know, we, with things that we do, we can get a huge benefit, like maybe 80% of the benefit of nutrition just by doing one simple thing. So can you talk us through that? Like why, why is it that eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day has such huge ripple impact or huge ripple effect throughout our entire health and well-being. Yeah. Yeah. It actually tackles a lot of the principles, but you know, if we look at the one that I said, like all diets um, are the same except for their degree of precision, right. And we can put all diets on this shades of gray idea. 800 gram challenge is on there too, but it focuses on quality. And this is what the paleo diet does, or this is what the no sugar diet does. When we focus on filling up on those whole foods, they have a lot of benefits. It almost kills the quality and quantity, um, two birds with one stone type of idea, right? So when we fill up on those fruits and veggies, we're eating a lot less calories overall. We're pushing out all of the excess processed crap, not all of it, but more of it. And so our caloric load comes down while we're getting all of those nutrients that we want, right? So this is this is kind of that shotgun approach and trying to get the, the biggest effect. Now, where I think the 800 gram challenge is... Um, I'll say it stronger than let's say like a paleo approach or a no sugar approach is that we also have to put a metric on it. Like just saying, I'm gonna eat more fruits and vegetables, like nice idea, but you gotta have a standard. You gotta have something that you're actually shooting for each day. Otherwise, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I did pretty well and it was like a side salad, right? So that's why that 800 number is magic. It's not magic because 800 is perfect for everybody. It's magic because there is a standard to uh, um, account for. And then the other thing I would say too that I like slightly better than kind of like a no sugar approach or even a paleo approach is like, you get to pick your fruits and veggies and you don't have to eliminate anything. So there's a lot of user autonomy that I think gets lost in some of these diets with super hyper specific rules. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm always such a fan of focusing on what you can add in and adding nutrients and focusing on like the benefit that has on your health instead of restricting because I think for so many people, nutrition is all about restricting. But um, especially the fact that like, yeah, if you eat 800 grams of vegetables and you want to have some chocolate or wine or whatever it is, like, so you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Your day is pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned there too, just the positive impacts that it has on gut health, like mm -hmm. how, how so many of our gut health problems really stem from our processed food consumption. And if we're eating more of the healthy prebiotics that our gut needs or our healthy gut bacteria needs, then, you know, that's gonna be happy too. We don't need to take a prebiotic pill. We don't need to our probiotics. We can just give our gut the, the foods that it actually needs. I know. I think, I think fiber is like the most underrated nutrient out there. Like it's so powerful. And people ask about gut health all the time. It's like eat fiber in fruits and vegetables. Gut health is done. <laughs> I have to ask, I just thought of this because now with the carnivore diet becoming so oh, right, bad, like obviously that is a 180. Um, what, what are your thoughts when you look at the carnivore diet and, and some of the results that are coming out about that? Yeah. Um, 
I'm not a fan. I don't think it's optimal. I think if somebody wants to do it relative to standard American, I think it's better. I think, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you have to supplement in the long term with carnivore diet. You're not getting all the nutrients you need. And then this lack of fiber, I think, is one of the biggest detriments to it. And guess what? You're not going to see anything in the short term with it. And that's the problem with a lot of diets is you can see weight loss and you can even feel better because of that weight loss in the short term. And everyone's like, see, it's wonderful. And it's like, great, find me the carnivore population that was the centenarians. <laughs> great. <laughs> great point. Um, okay. So you've been, you know, working with the 800 gram challenge now for a while and you've been working with gyms, with groups, with individuals and have been seeing great results with that. But then you decided to come out with another dimension called lazy macros, which I absolutely love. Um, because again, it's allowing you to get the majority of the benefit of doing macros, but in a way that is pretty easy and pretty user-friendly. So where did the idea for that come from? And can you tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much from the community because it's like, you know, people were on board with the 800 gram challenge. Then of course, within the CrossFit community, they're like, uh, protein? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, but I didn't really have a way I wanted to attack that yet. Um, and so it kind of was applying some of the same idea of the 800 gram challenge of like, let's set a, a mark that is probably pretty good for a lot of people that might need to be fine tuned, but let's kind of set a benchmark of adding protein to the diet and, and kind of just having this general standard. And again, now that we have tackling fruits and veggies and tackling enough protein, we further push out that process crap because to achieve that benchmark of protein, which I put at 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, you're, if you do both of those things, you're probably not going to have a lot of room left. So this is a way to get after protein, which is definitely an underrepresented nutrient in people's diets. And of course, in that CrossFit community is going to be useful. Um, and so, yeah, I dubbed it lazy macros because it's like, we've got two checkpoints, but we're not also weighing the olive oil to, you know, steam our spinach or whatever. <laughs> makes it a lot more easy to implement. Um, do you notice, I mean, I've noticed myself when I go to start, you know, weighing and measuring, I'm always shocked by how little protein I would eat throughout a day if I wasn't mm. paying attention to it. I mean, I do eat protein at every meal, but when I actually go and weigh it out, a lot of times I get to like dinner at the end of the day and I'm like, wow, I still have a lot to go. Um, is that something that you see a lot too? Do you think that as a, as a whole, I mean, maybe across the community, but maybe as a whole society, are we under eating on protein and what are the impacts of that? Yeah. This is where it's a great point because I actually think when we look at these centenarian populations that I keep referencing, they're not eating high levels of protein. In fact, people will ask me kind of about the blue zones and I have to look more at the research they cite, but I know that these populations are not eating 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. So this is where we have potentially a divide in, hey, what can we do for long-term health versus what do I want to do now for performance, which is always a CrossFit of interest. Um, and also, I would argue, maybe even optimal health somewhere, partially because of sarcopenia and the loss of muscle mass as we age. So it's like, I don't know, would the centenarians, I mean, they're living to 100, but let's just take an older population, like, would they be a little less frail if they had a little bit more protein, right? So this is where I don't really know. Um, I think people can live healthy, long lives without it. But if you want to I don't know, back, double body weight back squat, you know, you're going to need a little bit more protein or the other place where protein comes really into play, which happens to be with like over 90% of the people I work with is in weight loss. Mm -hmm. It's a way that we can 
not um, drop the calories too much, like keep the protein high so they have something to eat while we're restricting carbs and fat. So there's also a weight loss element there too um, that helps people stick to diets because of satiety and the fact that it has a higher thermic effect of food. So I know this is kind of a jumbled answer here, but I just sort of think that like, I'm not sure that the protein level that we look at when for centenarians is optimal for some of the goals that we have in modern day world, whether or not that's performance or whether or not that's weight loss because we've gained a level of excess body fat that perhaps they didn't ever have, right? Yeah, that's a great point. And then you look at, you know, their lives, they're living much more active lives as they age versus you look at, you know, we talk about how protein is so important for people as they age here. But I think in large part, it's because we're so deficient, like, as we many of our of our older population are really not doing much for activity, they're mainly sitting mm-hmm. most of the day. And um, food, I mean, if you look at if you go to a nursing home and look at the food that people are getting, like, yeah, protein, or even first whole foods or like good <laughs> quality foods is very hard to come by. But the amount of protein is also very um very low. So I, I do wonder about that. Like there's this interplay between how much protein you're getting, but also how much are you using your muscles and moving around? Yeah. And the research that I've seen on sarcopenia puts protein intake at a higher level than the RDA, but not quite as high as 0.7. I think it's probably closer to 0.55 where the RDA is closer to 0.4. So I, I think there's probably a little bit of a window, at least even from the elderly kind of window or take on this long-term health that, that it should be a bit higher. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because we're doing, um, we're going to do your lazy macros challenge with all of our subscribers. So I'm super pumped. Um, I've not done it before. Um, but basically it's putting the 800 gram challenge together with measuring out your protein every day. So two things to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then they get points, I believe for, yeah, for the workout, um, which your group will be doing and sleep. Sleep is super important. (laughs) Sleep challenge last year, which was super fun because I think one of those very overlooked um, lifestyle factors, especially in our community of people who are just go-getters and want to be, doing things all day long. So I also want to talk about in the, in the lazy macros, you said there's a few different things that people are going to be tracking. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about your consistency project tracker, because mm-hmm. I also love, you know, how simple and elegant that is, because I think a lot of us can get way too in the weeds with tracking every single thing. Like I have an app for all my workouts and I have an app for my sleep and I have an app for my macros and nutrition. And you can spend, you know, a good portion of your day, just logging all these numbers and then let alone analyzing what they actually mean and what they're telling you. Um, But a lot of the times, like you talk about, it is just about maintaining some consistent habits over time. That's going to have the biggest impact. So where did the idea for the tracker come from? And then can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Yeah. So the tracker is just those four factors, whether or not they did the 800 gram challenge, whether or not they hit the protein target, whether or not they exercised and they get to pick what consider what they consider exercise. And if they slept enough, which is over seven hours of sleep, and they just say yes or no, there's no logging of what I ate. There's no logging of the workout, all of that stuff. And basically it came about because people were doing the 800 gram challenge with their gym and they said, I want more accountability. And it was like, all right, well, here's something. Um, I just like it as a mental check-in. You know, right now I'm posting my score for every day in August and I'll plan to continue after that. But it's just sort of like 
kind of a North star for lack of better word. I don't want to make it so grandiose, but it's just sort of like this big picture. I got to be heading in the right direction. And, you know, I don't want to put down those other apps in the sense of like, I use my fitness pal in my masterclass. I've certainly used it for various periods of time. I think there can be a great utility in looking at the data for a period of time. But just like you're saying, it's sort of like, do I have to log all of the factors every day? Do I have to know that I did, you know, 45 pull-ups last Tuesday? Probably not. I just have to know that I worked out. Um, so the apps are useful to the extent that they drive behavior change, but the value is in the fact that you change your behavior, not that you have data about your behavior. And so, so it's really about just like check in and try to keep some sort of big picture of like, am I doing these things? Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a great point. I mean, it is so powerful. I think amazing now that we have these apps to be able to track so much. And I mean, the sleep trackers and the, you know, everything else, it's, it's great because we want to have a data-driven approach. Like if we're going to make a change, we want to be able to see, is this objectively affecting, you know, my health in some way, or, or is it having a positive impact and making a decision about it? But it's not something that we necessarily want to geek out on all day, every day for the rest of our lives. Like maybe we do it for 30 days or a week or two, and then to have something like the consistency project where it's just a check-in to make sure like, hey, am I being consistent with these habits that are important for the long term um, is sort of a nice way to go. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes people write off simplicity of solutions, right? They're like, this is it you know, like, where's my data? <laughs> and, you know, I kind of compare it to CrossFit, like, how many of us when we first saw one of those workouts, were like, this is it. <laughs> there can be magic in the simplicity. So don't let the fact that you have more data on something um, convince you that it's necessarily more powerful in the result. Great point. Um, and you also have a consistency project podcast, too, which we were just talking about. Um, before we started recording, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm trying to kind of combine the ideas because in the Consistency Project podcast, we're myself and Patrick Cummings, we kind of take about 20 minutes to look at a, a single topic in nutrition or fitness or overall just health lifestyle type stuff. Um, but it's funny, it's like, guess what, at the end of the day, people need to be eating more whole foods than not, they need to be exercising, they need to be sleeping. So it's sort of like, we'll take a deep dive into something. But I think the end message is like, hey, guys, we got to focus on these four big levers. And so it's kind of trying to tie into that leaderboard idea a little bit. No, sure. Danny and I always laugh because at the end of every <laughs> part together, no matter what it's about, we're always like, but to recap, it's all about... <laughs> exercise stress <laughs> <laughs> totally I know it's so interesting it's like the more I learn in nutrition it's like the simpler the application gets so true so true okay well I have to bring it up because of course it's part of all of our lives now but the COVID pandemic yep obviously it is shed a lot of light on our you know our health in general and our lifestyle behaviors you know we haven't seen as much out of the, you know, we're just starting to see something come out from like the CDC and these organizations about nutrition or about the impact that our lifestyle factors have on our health and our immunity or our ability to fight disease. But for you, like just reflecting on what this whole pandemic and this time has been like, like what are some of the, the things that you've been thinking about as it relates to nutrition? Mm. Um, I guess it's kind of related to nutrition. Um, I'll get there. But I, I think the first thing I was going to say, which might surprise you is modern medicine is amazing. We have a remarkably unhealthy population. 
that is living into their mid seventies because of modern medicine. We need to be very clear about that. Like, you know, people put down the big pharma and put down conventional medicine. And it's like, guys, these people have multiple comorbidities and are living lives. <laughs> and so, you know, it kind of speaks to that. And, um, but then when we come in some, into the face of something unknown like COVID, this is when we start to see the importance of nutrition and all of the preventative lifestyle practices. Um, and so I think that's where it becomes highlighted. It's like, yeah, what our doctors are doing is amazing. But if you have these unknown threats, you are the strongest and most resilient if you've been doing these other things, basic nutrition, life, you know, sleep, don't smoke, exercise, et cetera. It's so true. And it's, you know, it is amazing you, when you look at everything, I mean, especially in these places that have, been, that have been hit so hard, what the entire healthcare teams are doing to take care of these people is just unbelievable. And what, like you said, how resilient the human body is in many ways and that we're able to come back from, you know, being on a ventilator for weeks at a time and, you know, be able to like be a functional person again. Um, but like you said, it's true. Maybe, you know, if if we can do a better job as a whole world or as a society of making ourselves more resilient upfront with the preventative measures, then, you know, then our, our systems will be more streamlined to be able to help the people who really need it and won't be so overwhelmed um, like they have been during a lot of this pandemic. Yeah. And, and that's really my motivation in this space is I see just a colossal waste of resources, um, not just in terms of money of like, I don't know, you know, diabetic, whatever, needles and pads and all the things that we need, but also just brain power. It's just like we have these amazing researchers working on some things where we already have an answer and they could be focusing on the next vaccine for whatever the next pandemic is. Right. So that's where I just see a big loss. You know, um, we can be doing things and advancing medicine in a way that we have no kind of real concept of how far it could go for some cases, I think. It's such a great point. I think I, there's so many times where I, you see a headline of a new research study that comes out showing like exercise is good for you. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you know, what if <laughs> all that time and resources else that we didn't already know <laughs> totally yeah i know it, yes it, that's great i was actually just researching exercise and inflammation and yeah it's like and it decreases inflammation <laughs> right and it's i mean it isn't really interesting though of like where to direct resources because on the one hand yes it is nice to to be able to understand how these all these things work on a biological microscopic level but at the same time um i i like and this is maybe just my personality. Like I don't necessarily need to know all the fine details of how it works. Like if I know it's good, like that's great. Let's get more people to do it. Maybe that's why I ended up being a doctor and not a researcher, but. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The research, I mean, I had a very brief window into research. I mean, they're, they're amazing, but yeah, I was the same thing. Like let's go do, yeah, <laughs> let's go put it into practice. This is great. We have a solution to the problem. Like why are we researching a obesity pill? that's going to cure obesity. Um, Awesome. Very cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I am super excited to be taking on this lazy macros challenge with our subscribers and doing it myself. And, um, you know, I had done, I would say during, yeah, it was during sort of the initial months of the pandemic that when we were at home that Danny and I were both kind of geeking out on macros. It was probably the, the first time that I did it for a more sustained month or more um, of weighing and measuring everything. And, you know, it is very eye-opening to do for a time just to see, you know, to kind of calibrate your eye and see how much food is in the 
the meals that you're eating. Um, but I'm excited to try this because I think it'll be even more simple to do and it will be more sustainable too. something that, you know, you can do, but then also, um, you don't have to like get out all the measuring cups for every single meal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have to let me know how it goes for you all. Oh, absolutely. We will. Very cool. Well, thank you again, EC. And where can people find the things that you're doing, your podcast, your website, your classes? Yeah. OptimizeMeNutrition.com. Same handle on all the medias. And uh, consist it's called The Consistency Project for the podcast. Very cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. As always, I'll recap some of my biggest takeaways after the conversation. So the top three things that stood out to me, number one was that I really loved EC's concept of the elegant diet or shooting for one action that's pretty simple that you can take to give you 80% of the benefits, which is really the principle behind her 800 gram challenge. 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day gives you those benefits of all the micronutrients in their natural form, less room for unhealthy foods, feeding your microbiome with prebiotics, and so much more. So a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in the details and the little things that can maybe move the needle a little bit, but focusing on the big things that give us the majority of the benefit to our health, like eating 800 grams of veggies every day or making sure we meet a protein goal each day, makes things manageable and is going to allow us to have the biggest impact on our health in the long run. My second takeaway was about EC's principle that the universal diet problem is processed foods. This is so true. There is so much nutrition dogma out there and conflicting views from vegan to paleo or keto, but at the end of the day, if we all just focused on eating real food and getting processed foods out of our diet, we would all be so much healthier. And then my third takeaway was about EC's principle that your diet can't be validated. This is such a great point because I think I myself have seen myself going from one diet or challenge or plan to another, and it's always easier when you have rules around how you're eating. We can take in information from different diets, experiences, doctors, or nutritionists, but at the end of the day, only you as the individual can be the one to determine what's the right way of eating for your body. And you're the one who ultimately makes those decisions about what foods go in your body every day. So it's a little unsettling not to have a right answer all the time, but being armed with the right information to guide us, I think we can make decisions about how we eat that best support our health and allow us to also live our lives and do the things that we want to do. So I hope you had some great takeaways from this conversation as well. 